It's Tuesday, October 17th, and we're uh, recording an additional snippet here because uh, the Albemarle Liontown news hit the tape um, Sunday night, and Rodney and I had a couple of uh, comments uh, on that. But before we talk about that, we also forgot to mention in the video about uh, M&A uh, with Lithium Power International and Cadelco uh, that uh, Lithium Power did announce that uh, the media speculation of 50 cents was uh, not accurate. Um, they didn't say if it was higher than that or if it was lower than that, but at 50 cents, I think uh, it was like a 200 or 250 million valuation. Uh, if it goes for, that would be much cheaper than the Argentine brines that sold like Millennial, Neolithium, uh, Rincon, et cetera, which it went anywhere between 400 and, and $900 million. And uh, so that would be a, a not a great outcome for Lithium Power, but it doesn't seem like it's going to be a competitive auction there. That's what happens when you have the state essentially saying the only bidder. So we'll see what happens there. But um, before we start today's video, we'd like to thank Lithium Royalty Corp, listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange, ticker symbol LIRC. We'll share more later in the video. Rodney, what do you make of uh, Liontown? Alma walking away from Liontown and uh, you know Hancock with a blocking minority what happens to Liontown shares, uh, and you know, from a Liontown perspective, and then what happens from an Almol perspective? We're going to discuss that now. Effectively, it looks like Gina Reinhardt's done a Ellison. What Ellison did with Delta, she's got a, she's built up a minority, just under twenty percent, blocked the deal. Albemarle cited complications in the holding structure is one of the reasons why they pulled. I think, just simply put. It didn't seem like that they had had any communications with Gina Reinhardt. She, I don't think she wanted a partner. I don't think they wanted a partner with her. But the question now is uh, the quantum of money that um, Liontown needs to raise. There are various rumors in the market, but one thing's for sure, it's going to trade at a discount to the $3 deal. I assume that she will follow her 20% share um and now the question is if they go it alone and they have the increased capex and so on howard is what happens with the share price which was elevated because people assumed three dollars was the floor if i'm not mistaken i saw on some stat i think that liontown was one of the most shorted shares in the market so i don't know if that was but nearly 10 percent. so the question is what will the capital raise be? It could be, there can be some debt and so on, but it looks like there's definitely an equity component. And what was the share price before all of this happened? And looking at relative comps and what's happened to their share prices since the deal was announced and uh, now canceled, it looks like um, Liontown's gonna go it alone. My guess is she's gonna want a board seat she had some opinions about how it's going to be run, but now the question is, uh, where will the share price go? Um, it looks like they will have to raise at a lower price. Um, I have a gut instinct on this, Howard. Where, where do you think, where do you see the price landing? We saw a tweet, someone speculating, I think UBS in the market, I don't know, somewhere around 250. I, I think it could be meaningfully lower than that. I think I saw another tweet that said before Albemarle even came into the picture, Liontown was like trading at like a dollar fifty. 
Um, I don't think it'll go that low, but um, very important as a minority shareholder, you, you talked about MinRes in Delta. That seems very unfriendly to minority shareholders. They just changed the board and uh, minorities are, are going to get hurt there. Um, Liontown is now very difficult to take over. I don't know. I don't think that Hancock's going to take it over. They might have more influence. Maybe they'll seek more shares, you know, it's, it, it, I, I don't know. Is there a restriction um, now? I think it's 3% every Yeah, that's right. Months, they would have to bid for the whole, yeah, 3% every whatever bid. You have the album all own shares in Liontown, so that I think like $200 million worth. So there's some overhang if they're going to seek to sell that. I don't see why they would want to hold on to it. So they probably would sell it. Um, so it, it doesn't, this Liontown is going to now go into production right? They have the cost overrun. You've talked about it, whole of or float, underground mining, going to be complicated. If you're a minority shareholder in that company, hats off to all the people who sold in at 295, 298 to Gina, because I think it's going to be a long time before you see that price again, because it, it could grow once they're in production and generating cash flow. And if it becomes another Pilbara, okay, great. But um, I think that's a few years away. Um, and but we, but we could be wrong. We never know. But I just there's not going to be like another bidder that emerges. So there was always speculation that, uh, that there would be some bidder and that was right. And uh, now no one's going to touch this. So this is going into production. It will need to grow into a 4.4 billion US market cap. Uh, and given where spodumene prices have fallen, all, all the pure comps have. So I think, I think it goes. If you look at Albemarle, um and uh, I think you and I are both shareholders. Recently, the market uh, didn't see the Liontown deal as accretive, and that share price has done quite well because you've freed up the cash flows. Now, the question is for Albemarle, they have green bushes, and that's ramped up a bit, and they've got Wajina, which they share with Minres, and that is ramping up. So the question is, in the near term, for Mishan and so on, for the new converters and for Kemerton, do they have enough production out of Greenbushes and Wajina to feed that? I think they do, um, but they will if they want to do, is it the Megaplex, the complex, they want to get that going. So they will need Spodumin down the line, but I think they're going to have their hands full ramping Kemerton and China. So they do have a window, but it's they'll need something else now, I guess. There's a lot of speculation around Patriot, and I see Ken Brinsden has bought in the open market some shares. So, yeah, but he has option stuff, so he's still putting his hand in his pocket, which is a vote of confidence. Yeah, no, it's a positive signal for sure, and I take that as a good sign for other James Bay opportunities. I saw a tweet, I think it was Haplo underlined, it seems that, uh, Reinhardt might have taken a minority stake in Patriot as well. She's really uh, giving Albemarle a hard time um, if she has. I'm not sure that's accurate, but it's possible it's accurate. I heard other rumors that some other groups might have taken a stake in um, Well, maybe there's a whole, Patriot, there's a whole range. Not yet disclosed because it we did, hear a didn't lot cross of things, the threshold. But I guess Albemarle will need to look for some alternative. As everyone knows, Liontown had offtake agreements with various parties, so there wasn't immediate spodumin available for Albemarle, but my gut was always that they would 
do the conversion on behalf of the off-takers, possibly in China, or if they if there was an IRA issue in at Kemerton. So there is a window for them to do something else, but they, in order to find another 100 million ton plus deposit that's going to be up and in production in the next few years, that's maybe a little trickier. But what seems to me how to be very clear is that you best think twice before you buy in. All the Jork resources in Oz are spoken for, and we've seen this play out. It seems between Ellison and Reinhardt, they're not letting anyone into that market. It's tough. My guess is if you have a run at Global Lithium, uh, Minres has a stake in there. I guess it's possible that's the next biggest one, and they're doing some drilling. Um, uh, where does that leave, I guess? Would you have a run at something like Azure while SQM is in there and it's got a failed bid? We hard. What does that leave? It, then you, I guess it. And it's also still distant. Like how, how important was the fact that Liontown was so close to production? How important was it that it was in Australia? How important was it that it was over 100 million tons? Are those the key criteria that Al Marl is now? Are they, do they have to find a replacement with that criteria? And if so, there's very few that meet that criteria. There's North American Lithium, which is joint owned. There's uh, Sigma in Brazil. The thing with, um, the thing with North American Latin Lithium, resources. Though, Howard, to my mind, that has some appeal is um, you get Moblin in the mix. Yes, if you buy Sion. If you have a run at right? that, you know, I'm not, they're not going to buy of North American lithium. I think you need to take it. Critical Elements has had some good dual results. Um, that, I still think, could add tonnage. Would love to see Albemarle take that as a beachhead into... Uh, that would make sense. They're in Patriot. That's longer dated. But if they could come and if, get as critical, I said, critical Elements... Is um, drilling, I think they're getting... I think there's, high, there's higher grade material that can expand. So you look at the size of it, can it scale? Maybe they'd have to go on the ground and have a look if they could scale it, but that's permitted, ready to go. And you can ship it. So we'll, we'll have to see. Um, Maybe Frontier is big and high grade, longer dated. Yeah, I think um, Albemarle has time. I think between Greenbushes and Wajina, there is a window of time, but you need to crack on with it. But it seems my gut is they want a tier one jurisdiction. They're not going to... They're not going to veer, veer off the, off the, um, from the formula. Um, might they look at Brazil, possibly? Um, but otherwise, it is Oz or Canada, and seeing as Oz, they're having a tough time, and there's not a lot on, on the go, and, and you'd probably get another minority block if you were to have a crack uh, there. Canada is probably you know, worth a look, uh, and Brazil. Um, I don't know. You, you say they have time, Rodney. Then what was the urgency? Like they were... They yeah, but you'd get in. You would have um, that window where you are tolling or doing it on behalf of them. And then when those contracts ended, you don't necessarily... I don't know how many, if they were five by fives or if they were just five year and done. Um, and there was talk of scaling line town in time which would release some free tonnage so you would have a window in 
which is why I'm saying you, you didn't have direct access to the immediate spodumen, but you would later on. Whereas if you buy something else and it's unencumbered, you can get on with it and take a little longer. Okay, but this was encumbered. So what was the rush for this particular asset at this very high price? If you say they have time, right, and they do have time because they have Wajna and they have, but I, I think they sought to acquire Liontown in part because Minrez uh, was being difficult on Wajna, right? And they uh, took back 50% of their output. They, they used to have 100% right? Yeah, album all. So they needed to fill it and they were going to fill it with Liontown. Now that they can't fill it with Liontown, again, how urgent is that? Has the market changed at all? Is the market softer, making them reassess? Or um, how, how much was controlling the market, right? Because we they have been a disciplined actor in, in the past. They bought into Wajna because it was available big and that they do have an element of wanting to be uh, have some sort of control. But I think the market has moved beyond this spodumene duopoly we talked about between Pilbara and Minrez Albemarle with Sigma in, in production, North American Lithium in production, Core in production. Uh, but I do think there was an element of Albemarle trying to reassert control by getting Kath getting um, Liontown. Uh, but now that they don't have that, we have a much more there's a risk of having an undisciplined spodumene market here with now Hancock is in there, capitalized new entrant in, into the field. Uh, the only way I see them potentially re-exerting control, and this is like a big kahuna idea, Almal bought into lithium by buying Rockwood for half cash, half shares, six and a half billion dollars. They got green bushes, they got, um, or they got half of green bushes and they got uh, the Atacama. What if they bought Pilbara, half cash, half shares? Pilbara wants to uh, move downstream. Albemarle is the best in the business in this regard. And uh, what do you think I'd about that? I need to run the numbers to see if it would be accretive depending on what price they paid. Um, so we'd, you know, we'd need to run a ruler over that. I mean, at the moment, it, it would be very accretive if they can control the spodumene price. Yeah, look, I mean, you've got other players coming on, right? Yeah, I guess. But, um, you know, the, part of the problem is that Albemarle has derated. So finding accretive acquisitions is tough for them. And then the argument is if you can find an early stage player that's going to get to 100 million, is that not? And that's what we've been proposing people do. It's a question of timing. Um, is do you go for something like that or do you go for someone growing like a Latin resources or something that's going for 100 million tons in Brazil and trading at a fraction of Pilbara's price? They, they could do that. I, I think the valuation, if you could put a, if, the, if Almol were ever to get its specialty chemical multiple back, um, it would be accretive because it would yeah, rate. I think at the right uh, price. Because um, Pilbara is trading at a relatively low spree, multiple. Because we bought in and bought in at these lower prices into Albemarle. They've had a serious correction. Yeah, uh, they're at a buck 70. They're up about 5% since uh, walking away from that. Okay, I think let's leave it at that. I called this uh, using the, another Eagles song. We had Pilbara, Life is Good, Lithium and FE for Iron Ore. This is like life in the fast lane 
with uh, Hancock in uh, iron ore and uh, and Minres in iron ore, um, and also now in lithium. Western Australia, uh, life in the fast lane. But as I uh, tweeted, um, uh, what was that lyric? Something about the car uh, crash. Call the doctor. Um, call call the doctor. Call the doctor. Um, I think I'm going to crash. <laughs> Let's see how Lion Town trades once uh, this UBS deal is done. And with that, uh, we'll sign off on this uh, special addition to the fourth uh, Rockstock recap. Welcome back to Rockstock Channel. It is Sunday, October 15th. Uh, this is our, I think, fourth Rockstock recap. I think we're doing it every uh, two weeks now. Um, I was a little bit sick on Friday, so we're recording this a little bit late, and it's also delayed uh, the publication of the lithium ion bull, which will come out uh, in a couple of days this week. As a reminder, if you're not already getting this directly emailed to you, uh, please go to our website, rkequity.com and register your email there and you'll get lithium bull uh, whenever we do email it. And again, remember, if you uh, like this video, please again, subscribe and comment, click the notification bell and uh, follow Rodney and me on uh, X at Rodney Hooper 13 and at Lithium Ion Bull. Rodney, what should we talk about? Uh, actually, let's start with, um, we just did this interview, uh, so I don't wanna regurgitate a lot of what you said with Will Adams following the LME week, um, but I would encourage all viewers to watch that video, uh, which is coming out just a couple of days before this video. Uh, but you made a funny tweet about uh, J.T. Marlin's uh, research um, from that great movie, uh, Boiler Room. Uh, so J.P. Morgan um, came out with a very bearish forecast. Uh, what did they get wrong? So again, um, quite a lot of the stuff they, they do, I think, is accurate and correct on a level. But again... The thing I struggle with, Howard, is aggregate lithium supply versus battery grade. So, again, for some reason, brokers just seem to think and banks seem to think everything that's produced will qualify, which it doesn't. So when you start to pass into battery grade and non-battery grade, it doesn't, it doesn't work. The other thing is, Howard, you can't have – you can't forecast – low lithium prices and assume that DSO and low grade material and lipidolite in China, et cetera, is going to keep ramping production. I see Goldman's does the same. It's not possible. We know on the lower end that 25 to $30,000 is where lithium needs to be. So you can't forecast 10 or 15 or whatever it is and expect that, you know, that supply to grow. It just doesn't make sense. So, in their defense and in the defense of all of us that do forecasting on lithium prices and on supply and demand, we know when lithium prices are high, new supply is going to come out. And that is one thing that JP Morgan did write is they highlighted material out of Nigeria and elsewhere, which to be honest, I didn't see that coming. I was aware of some of the other stuff. so. What I did say in that tweet as well is a canary in the coal mine. If you if it's profitable to ship one percent material and ninety nine percent waste around the world, and you can do that profitably, 
to make lithium, then the top can't be far away because um, that really just doesn't make sense. And um, you also can do that far easier than setting up a full mine plan and doing things. If you can just scrape up and just take straight material and ship it, then it's a lot easier to do. So the question now is, has Pandora's box been opened up? Some people think yes, others think no. In terms of these new s sources of supply coming out of Africa and in, in new places and some in historic like Zimbabwe and just ramping up. So that's going to be interesting. And the question, I guess, how it is, how quickly that stuff can come on and turn off and come on as prices move. So if you take that in combination with the increased liquidity in the various lithium futures, are we going to see uh, lower, you know, uh, lower highs and higher lows? And I asked that to Will Adams, you know, in the interview, and, and he seemed to think so. So that JP Morgan did is low prices, but ramped up supply from low grade material just doesn't make sense. I don't know if they and other banks have got a full handle on the inflation that we've seen in the industry from a capex and opex perspective i think the cost curve is moving up um, and the qualification of battery grade which is always my pet gripe is how much of the stuff is qualified and how much isn't we know with the lfp and the ess different quality of material can pass muster there you still have some gaps so let's see um, but you make those adjustments in a market, you know, that's only where the numbers are marginal and you can quickly go from oversupply to undersupplies. Um, we've seen some movement in the um, Guangzhou uh, futures and a little bit tick back into the, um, into the spot. I think that um, I, I mentioned this in another tweet that Guangzhou is physically settled. So you need to deliver into the warehouse when that thing expires. So it's not like the CME where you can just punt and do a mark to market. So as the nearer dated contracts come to expiry, you've got to deliver in material. Now, if you've speculated rather than are actually a producer hedging, then you might have some trouble on your hands. So I noticed the near dated expiry or the January 24 expiry on the um, carbonate contract has now climbed up. It had almost two days of limit up and it trades higher than the spot. So are we going to see a little bit of a squeeze? Maybe. Uh, I think Will thought that there was enough material, but I'm not convinced. We know that um, the cathode specifically is tight and um, there's not a lot of inventory, so uh, it will be interesting time. So I think uh, JP and, and Goldman, some of the others predicting this sort of low teens or whatever it is, pricing is, it, it makes no sense. New projects won't get built and some of the lower grade stuff won't survive at these levels. So. We already know we've seen shutdowns in China. We've seen um, maintenance shutdowns and we're seeing others pulling back on production. So we know it's already tightening up. Um, and unless independent non-integrated converters can buy material for spodumen 
concentrate for around $1,800 or similar to that sort of number, they can't make a living selling. Yeah, we might be seeing, I, I noticed that I heard, I, I don't know if it was SP Platts that um, offers in carbonate had jumped to 180 and they were 165. So are, are we seeing a bit of a squeeze? Maybe. Jumping in here from the editing room to tell you about Lithium Royalty Corp. Lithium Royalty Corp is at the center of a global energy transition and manages a globally diversified portfolio of lithium-focused royalties in electrification and decarbonization. With 32 royalties on 29 higher-grade, lower-cost projects from exploration to production, LIRC covers all the bases with well-managed risk, ESG considerations, and a scalable royalty structure. Lithium Royalty Corp is traded on the Toronto Stock Exchange ticker symbol LIRC. To find out more, visit lithiumroyaltycorp.com. Let's see. Um, on that JP Morgan note, I, I I read through it and there were a whole host of uh, companies, projects that we don't track on the scoreboard that were private, as you mentioned, that there were four or five in Zimbabwe. There was one in Russia that they mentioned. So they have a team of analysts in Australia and, and China, and we're not in China. Um, but it, it does seem they've made a similar mistake as has been made in the past. You just that you, whatever, if, if you, um, you take publicly available and maybe it is publicly available in China, uh, their forecast or, or, or the expectation of when they say they'll get in production versus when they actually do get in production, you can build that up and, and, and make some mistakes. But the one thing that kind of stood out for me significantly, as I was looking at those projects is that they included back Anora, um, in Mexico. Um, as coming on in, in terms of near-term supply. And this report came out after uh, China nationalized uh, th th this project, right? And so Ganfeng can't be going through with it. So just that one fact makes me like discredit like all these other projects, but it's hard to know. But your point is, is accurate. If the price is too low, these projects can't come on. So you can't have it both ways, right? You can't have low prices and massive supply. Absolutely, you cannot have low. You cannot have low teen pricing and projects get financed. You've seen some of the feasibility studies that have come out. The IRRs just don't don't warrant it. So, as I said, it is difficult for them, and it's difficult for all of us in terms of something that is dynamic, and you're trying to forecast it. But I saw a lot of projects, and remember the percentage of future supply that is going to come from greenfield projects is is quite high so these are not funded by the ganfens and albemarles or whatever as it stands now so if you are an independent development company that is not associated with an incumbent or an external mining company if prices are to go down you're never going to get funded so I agree there were some projects in there that I just, you can't have it both ways. You, you cannot forecast low prices and assume all of these things are going to get funded and into production. It makes no sense. But at the same time, if prices rally again, you're going to find another report that they have where you're seeing spodumen coming out of wild and woolly places that you never thought possible because the economics or dears because the economics work. Yeah. Um, and I agree with you on the uh, Canary in a coal mine DSO. It, like this goes back to Dale Henderson and Ken Brinsden uh, last year, telling us 
that all through COVID, China just kept ramping up conversion capacity. So there was you know huge amount of conversion capacity, and they could process a lot of different materials, not just spodumene. So there is this seems to be latent converting capacity. So if the price does spike, right, then it becomes profitable again for the DSO guys to you know, just export from China. So that's why you're saying the you'll have lower highs, right? But um, so going back to eighty thousand dollars is unlikely. But um, the conclusion, I think, your long term price is like thirty. Uh, Will was suggesting twenty five to thirty five as being a range. I'm somewhat skeptical about, although he said there could be periods of time where it goes higher than that or lower than that. And I think because of this sentiment trading, like everyone's like pulling back in some cases, two to three days of inventory on these converters. That seems like very, very short. So as soon as prices go up, there's a rush to, to buy a short squeeze, whatever. Um, so you can get out of that 25 to 35 dollar range and if i look at other commodities and i know there's always this debate uh, commodity specialty chemical but uh, it, it it's not i don't think it's really even relevant that much anymore when it comes to valuations of the companies we've talked about this album all is trading at a similar multiple to freeport and rio uh, so they're not getting the specialty chemical multiple but if you look at the spodumene market if you look at the carbonate market Outside of the battery grade hydroxide market, those other markets, spodumene and, and carbonate, very much look to be commoditized. And, and that doesn't like just because you're a commodity doesn't mean that you have stable prices. You know, the oil price is exceptionally volatile. The iron ore price is exceptionally volatile. You know, nickel has been very volatile over the year. Copper less, but um, Will was saying this movement from seven dollar carbonate to eighty dollar carbonate. That's a very wide range and that that's not helpful you know, to the industry, but that happens in oil also. It, it happens in, yeah, in I think, iron. I think there's, is there commodity, there's one, commodity necessarily there's one distinction stable? I would make there though, Howard, is um, oil is simply what you put into your car, whereas lithium is a key fundamental input into the battery in terms of making the car. If you look at, I don't know if you've seen the latest numbers of how much money Lucid and Ford and whoever else lose every time they make an EV. So I noticed um, there was a number that I think Neo quoted in terms of of uh, of the difference in uh, to their operating margin for each different difference in lithium price. So I think. In order for the EV transition to occur, you need a fairly stable-ish, I think 30 is, is doable. Maybe you can do a little bit more than that, where the OEMs can scale up, make EVs and still make a living. Whereas they can't make, they, they can't, long-term you, you can't have, I think anything over 60 or whatever will cripple them. Okay, f fair point. Um... Uh, I'm just suggesting that lithium prices, spot prices can be highly variable and they could go to crazy prices. And then in those cases, the auto manufacturers may curtail um, curtail their production. But 
in reality, I think the auto companies are signing long-term contracts, so they're not going to be paying 80,000 spot prices. Um, in looking for leading indicators, so you're looking at these Guangzhou futures, and that's gotten a lot of press on the um, on Twitter because you had that limit up, I think, I don't know, two or three days in a row. But uh, one company uh, that we've actually labeled um, leading indicator, China Girl, uh, from David Bowie, uh, Ganfeng. Uh, the one week chart on that is is quite good. Um, we can call this up here. Uh, I think it fell on Friday, but uh, that's definitely one to watch, in my opinion, uh, more so than any of the other Chinese converters. I just think it it's a well-known Western in, in the West, as well as in China. Uh, what do you think? Is that a good... Ganfeng's going up. Leading indicators should come from China, right? Like the, and this was also prevalent in Will's discussion. The beginning of the year, everyone thought the COVID reopening would be very bullish. And through the summer, it became clear, and not just in lithium, but other commodities have come off a fair bit, copper um, and, and a few others. That, that's, some of that is... Uh, I was out there for lithium, but I do think that China will drive because it's still a China dominated market. Um, so looking for clues from China, Ganfeng being a, a, a significant equity could, if Ganfeng is going up, does it mean that um, Aussie and, and US stocks should start going up in lithium because it's projecting forward looking? Yeah, it's always, um, it's always sentimented. In, uh, how do you know? It's we have a chuckle with lithium either the prices are low and banks and brokers are saying they're going to stay low or get worse or they're high and they say they're going to go down in the future you can never get anyone to buy into the implied price of spodumin and chemicals embedded in the current share prices is low i think canaccord did a estimate on those numbers I think Macquarie was saying it was like 15,000. They've also done yeah. it. So I think, I mean, yes, I think, you know, when you see run-ups like that, that, you know, clearly there's, you know, Ganfin's taken a beating. It is a proxy for China exposure, I guess. And it had some big jumps. So I'm assuming they're thinking that, Things are going to improve uh, when you see the, the jump at that level. But I guess we wait for the day where um, investors are prepared to hopefully um, embed something closer to my long-term pricing for both spodumin and chemicals into equities, because at the moment they really are giving them a tough time. So hopefully if... Um, if Ganfen starts to rally, that's quasi um, non-integrated versus integrated. I don't know the exact numbers. I haven't looked recently how much they have internally as supply, but obviously that's an encouraging sign. Another sign of a bottom could be uh, um, I phoned a couple of uh, old friends who've my age or older who have watched lots of different cycles and lots of different commodities. And I was trying to draw some clues from boom busts that we've had in iron ore and coal and, and others. And how relevant is that? Or is it relevant? One of them said, 
Jesus, we really must be at the bottom that the lithium bull is uh, calling me um, with some bearish commentary. <laughs> uh, uh, and then uh, separately, I was interviewed on Bloomberg by uh, a Singapore-based journalist, um, uh, and I was quoted, and we should talk about this uh, on the Liontown album all deal, but um, she was asking me my background and the history. And so I told her about like lithium 1.0, lithium 2.0, lithium 3.0. And she said, so when did lithium 3.0? <laughs> Just like, uh, she made me think that like the National Bureau of Economic uh, Research, I think, which uh, dates recessions, they only date it, you know, after the fact, like af well after the fact, if, if lithium 3.0 has ended, um, when was that? When might we date that? So I wasn't ready to admit or say that it was the end, but, um, and we'll wait for the lithium 4.0 cycle. But uh, if a bear market is defined as a 20% or more decline, we're in a bear market, right? Like the, the uh, 20 to 45% down on the major producers as of uh, the, the RK equity scoreboard. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm not uh, using uh, almost famous, one of my favorite movies, I called it almost famous lithium 2.0, like we all thought the last cycle was going to be great. Um, and then we had a two and a half year period from 18 through 2020. That was a, a bear market. So I'm not ready. I believe we're in a secular bull market that is still going to have cyclical downturns. And in, in April, uh, you and Matt Fernley correctly called the bottom. We rallied through June and then July, August was weak. And then we came into September. Uh, yes, Q4 just started in October and there are good signs of um, demand and on the positive side and then slower on the supply side. So we'll see. But the last six weeks have just none of us predicted it much worse th th than than we thought. But I, I guess that happens, and uh, but it, it 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 just it creates buy opportunities. To be honest, I'm a long term shareholder for the most part. I do trade from time to time if things get overvalued or are running against. In this market, I've been doing this for a long time. If you're up three, five, seven times, ten times on something and, and not taking a profit. It's not, or at least taking something off the table, um, it's not too wise <laughs> to just hold just because there'll be other opportunities to re-enter. Um, as we're looking at the scoreboard, there's some like real value uh, there uh, with some familiar names. Um, and then there are lots of other companies that are just coming out of nowhere. So Wildcat on the scoreboard this month, Azure a few months ago. Um, there are many names that are still up year to date or even month to date uh, based on discovery. So we're in a bull market in terms of there's still a lot of eyeballs on the sector. There's a lot of punters in Australia and elsewhere, less so in Canada. I think there, there's hearing a lot of negativity out of Canada and the US, uh, but in Australia, there's they're just waiting for an upturn in price and then they're going to pile back in. I Look, think. I think we reached a period uh, not long ago, Howard, where you were paying quite a hefty premium for the chance to see how something turned out with drilling. And we've now seen that sort of turnaround where there's some exploration companies that I think are 
correctly priced now for the optionality of seeing if they are the next Azure Patriot Winsome winners. So I like to, uh, you know, in the end, there's always risk and you can be wrong, but I like to pay an appropriate price for that seat at the table. But there, you know, there was a time when you were paying an enormous premium to, to get a look in. Enormous premium. And, the, and the, we talked about this, like the valuation of XYZ company seem very high considering they haven't even drilled. So they have to backfill the valuations. But in other cases, there are um, quite low valuation companies that, uh, yeah, as you said, um, there's a lot of interest in Brazil, a lot of interest in Quebec. Um, some of that has waned. But um, the fires in Quebec uh, are, are now over and people are saying that actually the fires have helped to some degree because they can now see um, there's less bush for them to be able to see and map and figure out where to drill. So there is some risk, though, that like great drill results in a bear market um, don't have a reaction. Uh, or as much of a reaction. So earlier this year, so the Winsomes and the Patriots and the Azores, but Wildcat shows it, it, it there's still interest there, but there is some risk that uh, if you were in a genuine bear market, um, that uh, you wouldn't have that reaction. That said, there are some other companies who are, they're discovering something, like the, the scale of which you need to discover something and have the stock move, I think is, the bar is has moved. Right, like the Ontario Green Technology Metals and others, with all this fanfare, they're trading at under 100 million market cap. I don't know that story super well, but I lack invested in them, and and there are prominent people involved with that. And I don't fully. They, they seem to be growing a resource, but um, the market's not giving much love to Ontario. But they're still very interested in James Bay. I think they'll be interested in Brazil. Um, and also selectively in Western Australia, one of our clients, um, Stellar Metals, just raised some money. Um, why don't you talk about that one? We had them on uh, ASX Lithium Rocks a bit, but uh, that's the uh, Steve Biggins, um, ex-founder of Core. They've been very quiet, uh, but um, like I said, they raised a bit of money. They did an IPO, I think, at $0.20. Cents. They raised some money at $0.30. Cents. I think they have five or so million in cash. Um, but uh, anyhow, I, I, why don't you talk about some of those? Because we're, we're very focused on those early stage exploration plays. They, quite a few of them have come back to valuations, which I think are appropriate as in an option premium to do it. I always like that end of the market. I think the money is always at the end of a drill bit with a pure Lasson valuation curve. Um, it's what I used to like running a mining fund. I've always found it, it pays. You can get a very good multiple on your drilling dollars. Uh, um, Quebec and James Bay, you've got the Greenstone Belt there. It's, it's great. There's a lot of targets to drill. And a lot of companies are doing it. Stellar is ours. That's just inside New South Wales at Broken Hill. But what's good is that these guys are, they're not high market cap, they've got cash and now they're doing drill campaigns, which is the part I like. Um, um, well, you like it even better if they hit something, but um, the things, the way people have looked where to drill and, and how to shape it, 
There's James Bay has proved to this huge amounts of outcropping and potential drills. So uh, we'll see uh, how all of these go, but um, helpful for some companies like Winsome that raised um, more money in the flow through. Uh, the one thing with Quebec, I know you mentioned their, um, their uh, webinar is the premium you can get if you spend money doing exploration in Quebec. They got $2.38 versus a share price of about half that. Um, yeah, it, it was quite, I, I would encourage all of uh, our viewers to watch that webinar um, with Winsome because uh, Chris Evans goes into great detail as to how the flow through financing works. And I think uh, a lot of Aussie investors don't properly understand it. So that was like a very helpful and yet there are a lot of Aussie uh, junior companies that have got assets in Quebec. So it makes sense for them to know. In Quebec, right? So th this, this like, like for the stock to have gone down after raising money at a 74% premium, it's like the most non-dilutive financing that you can do. And there are windows of time to do it. You can't just do this all year round in Quebec. So he was mentioning it was quite important to get this done ahead of year end because um, there was some tax loss benefits to the Quebec uh, holders of, of, of doing this. Hats off to Chris uh, for timing it well. Um, and he also goes into some detail as to when to cut off the, the mineral resource estimate. Some people are saying, why don't you do it now instead of later? But anyway, watch that webinar. It's about a half an hour from last week. I think it was, I think it was a good one. And uh, others like uh, Ofer Gold and Q2 Metals and Brunswick and, and other, um, and also very importantly, Critical Elements, a client of ours uh, has also been putting out some information about their drill campaigns and uh, everyone's focused on that the rose project and when are they going to get a deal done there and uh i think they're quite optimistic um that they will get something uh or they want to get a fully financed deal uh out there they just they don't want to piecemeal it together but the exploration upside within critical elements you get for free right there are lots of quebec stories and that, if, I, and if uh, i'm know, not mistaken right and have early intercepts that critical elements have had have been good grade as well so okay and they've been around the block for 12 13 years these aren't aussies coming into uh canada these guys have actually gotten things permitted they got their iba with their um with the first nation uh there's a lot of hidden value um in critical elements in my opinion, on the exploration side, apart from uh, what I would expect to be strong strategic interest. Uh, Simon Moore has put out a tweet. Um, now is the time for auto OEMs, battery OEMs. This is what you've been waiting for with the price falling over the next nine months. Now is the time to get serious and, and cut deals. And I agree with that. Um, and something like a critical element uh, is, you know, is a a more interesting and more likely near-term target than like some of the stuff that Stellantis is investing in in, uh, in Argentina or in unconventional DLE flow sheets. But we've covered that before. I don't think we need to um, talk about it again. Uh, 
On the Brazil side, uh, yeah, we're going to catch up uh, this week with uh, a few of our friends down there. So I'll have more to comment, I think, on Solus and some of the others um, next uh, Rockstar. One thing probably hard that Uh, you can possibly close on is Gina Reinhardt or Hancock going to 19.9 on Liontown, which is a change since our last call. That's right. When we last spoke, we had mentioned that the price had moved down from like the 299, 298. It had gone down to whatever, 295, but then it went back up to 299 again because she was you know, buying that incremental amount. But as soon as she came back, she hit 19.9, it came down again. So she's not going to be buying any more on market. Album all got a one-week extension on their due diligence. But again, in, in my quote was, I only got half of my what I said was actually quoted, which was the positive that maybe she would partner with Albemarle. But it is my majority probability point of view that Albemarle is going to walk away. And maybe this extra week gives them an opportunity to converse with Hancock. We understand that they had not um, as of about two weeks ago. But I think it would be very difficult for Albemarle to, uh, if they don't know Hancock in just a, a one-week diligence, be able to cut um, to cut a deal. And I think it would be difficult. Oh, the time for, for chatting uh, was a Gina. while back. Now that she's got nineteen point nine, she can scupper. Yeah, and she wants influence. And I don't know that Albemarle. They already got Chris Ellison to deal with. She's going to be. Heading. I think, uh, and the share price is starting to creak a bit. So let's see. All right. Um, let's leave it at that, Rodney. Uh, good talking to you on this Sunday, and um, we will be back soon. <laughs>